One of the big concerns that I have is social isolation. Making and maintaining friendships is a learned skill that disappears. So the whole idea of creating a community to make sure that what is being done in that building is creating community as opposed to just people living independent lives. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. This episode is the first part of the 2S LGBTQ plus Seniors Housing Lab series, where we're going to explore the various challenges and barriers that impact housing for seniors in the 2S LGBTQ plus community in Edmonton, Alberta. 2S LGBTQ plus is an acronym that stands for Two-Spirit, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, or Questioning, plus all other identities that make up sexual and gender diverse communities who use other terminologies. The acronym and various associated terms are continually evolving as representation and cultural understanding of these communities in Canada and elsewhere in the world evolves over time. The definitions are only a starting point to understanding 2S LGBTQ plus identities and issues, and the most important thing is to be respectful of the individuals using the language and what feels best to them. Over the course of the summer, our team at Intelligent Futures has been exploring the following challenge question. How might we create innovative housing solutions that support the unique needs of 2S LGBTQ plus seniors while proactively connecting these folks into the broader community? This question is guiding the 2S LGBTQ plus seniors housing lab, a solutions lab that's funded by the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation or CMHC. These labs offer funding and expertise to help communities solve complex housing problems and explore new ways of making progress on a housing challenge. These labs fuel bottom-up collaborative innovation by bringing diverse groups of people together to solve complex housing problems and help inform decision-making at all levels. This lab was initiated by our friends at Green Violin, a community development company that delivers sustainable housing solutions and our team here at Intelligent Futures, with the goal to explore issues of discrimination, ageism, and isolation in housing in collaboration with the 2S LGBTQ seniors community in Edmonton. Today, we'll begin to explore the complexity of the challenge at hand with Eric Story of Edmonton Pride Seniors Group. Eric is actively engaged in the 2S LGBTQ seniors community in Edmonton, where he volunteers his time and expertise as a social worker, a queer senior, and a passionate community member to advocate for the experiences and issues faced by seniors. Eric is an award-winning advocate and educator for his community, where he serves on the board of several senior-serving community organizations, supporting and connecting with other community-minded individuals of all ages. My name's Eric Story. I'm uh, retired, um, and I'm 75 years old. Can you talk about Edmonton Pride Seniors Group and the work you're doing in the 2S LGBTQ plus community in Edmonton? So, uh, yeah, the Edmonton Pride Seniors Group uh, is a group of volunteers was founded in 2013 with the intention of promoting safe and inclusive housing for 2S LGBTQ plus seniors. And since that time, we've been working on a couple of different fronts. One is to actually build a building for that population. But the other is recognizing that even if we were to build a, a 400 suite unit, which is <laughs> pretty much out of the, out of the economic question, but even if it were 400 suites, 
that still would not look after the 2S LGBTQ plus population in Edmonton. So uh, one of our other activities is to promote safe and inclusive housing to existing housing providers. And that means talking to the senior management or the ownership group, the administrative staff, the service delivery staff, but more importantly, to the seniors themselves, Mm. uh, to the residents themselves, because what we're wanting to aim for is inclusion and respectful, respectful conversations. We've had really good reception um, when we've done these presentations and recognize that change happens slowly. So we're getting fairly close to having a building built, uh, land acquired and a building built is still in the works. But uh, we're kind of hoping that within the next two or three years, we might be able to break ground and start that project. So that's the Edmonton Pride Seniors Group. Um, as I say, just volunteers from the community. Um, I'm amazed at the uh, the talent pool that we have available. <laughs> when I go to one of our meetings and just look around the table and look at the, the intelligence and the wisdom and the experience of all the people sitting around the table. So one of the things that I, I think is really important for the listener's context as they think about the 2S LGBTQ plus seniors community and when we talk to housing, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I think the context of the lived experience and the historical events that that folks have lived through, you know, maybe you could take us through some of the the lived experience through your lifetime, through the lifetime of of, of folks that that you're you're working with, and, and give some context to why housing sure. is 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 such an important thing for for your community. Okay, so I'll start off with just. One quote that sort of covers everything else. It's from uh, an Australian fellow named Leon Alexander, Alexander Leon. Sorry, queer people don't grow up as ourselves. We grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect ourselves. So. Just with that in mind, and I'll use me as an example because it is all about me after all. No, um, <laughs> but again, being 75, being a lot of my life experiences are the life, similar life experiences to other seniors. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we'll start. 1967, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ebert Clipper was sent to jail indefinitely as a dangerous sex offender for having consensual sex with men. And then in 1969, I turned 21, which at the time was actually the legal age of, uh, you know, as a legal to sign uh, legal documents for yourself. But that's when Canada decriminalized homosexuality. The interesting thing is, despite that law changing in 1969, uh, Clippert wasn't released from jail until 1971. Right. So there's always a lag. Sometimes society leads the law. And sometimes society lags behind the law. And I think certainly in the treatment of a lot of the people who are now seniors, society was really lagging far, far behind the law. A couple of other significant elements was 1977, homosexuals was removed from the list of inadmissible classes to on the, under Canada's new Immigration Act. 1991, Delwyn Green was an instructor at King's College here in Edmonton. Uh, the administration 
found out he was gay and fired him on the spot. So, and that actually, that was a very good event because not a good event, certainly not good for him, but it's certainly, there were a few events that really Chris, that, you know, brought the community together. And this was because that case was fought all the way up to the Supreme court. And it was uh, a couple of lawyers here in Edmonton and a lot of who did pro bono work and a lot of work, you know, mobilized Mm -hmm. classes and so on. But so when I was 52 in in the year 2000, the Alberta government passed Bill 202 to declare that it would use a notwithstanding clause in the event of a court redefining marriage to include same sex marriage. And in 2005, of course, you know, it was 57. And that's when the law changed on the marriage. And the reason I, I talk about those ones is that, you know, quite a while ago, a young person said to me, well, you guys can get married now. What's the big deal? I guess it's it's just the piling on effect of one thing after another. Right. So you, you remember that the law changed in 2005. I remember all of the vitriol that was on talk radio, on the Edmonton Sun, in the Calgary Sun, in the Edmonton Journal. All of these things that, although society was saying this is now permissible and good, there was an awful lot of backlash. And uh, mm. I think everybody, mm. uh, you know, any 2SLGBTQ person, you know, probably has got strong memories of taunting in high in school and so on. So right. these are just right. building on effects. One of the things that I, I did want to say was that in uh, 1996, of course, sexual orientation was was implemented in the Canada Human Rights Act. But it was 2009, 13 years later, that Alberta finally put the same into their Human Rights Act. Hmm. And then the last one, which I said was a little bit interesting, our friend Jason Kenney, who led the Conservatives for, for many, many years, when he was the immigration minister, he directed his department to remove from their literature that Canada was a friendly place for LGBTQ citizens. Again, it's just sort of representing. And all of these yeah. things, even if someone wasn't paying attention, I think one of the problems of growing up uh, as a 2SL person is because of the experiences that you have, like seeing the society, seeing classmates and coworkers and so on, some of that creates hypervigilance. So right. if I hear somebody, you know, if you hear somebody make some sort of off remark, it might not register on you at all. If someone from our community hears that remark, they might think, one, am I safe here? Yeah. What's going to happen if I come out? Because even with these changes in the laws, well into the 19, I would say into the early 19, 80s. It was pretty much guaranteed that when you came out, you would lose your family, your apartment, and your job. No questions asked. Mm. And so that's the sort of the, the fear, that sort of keeping one in the closet. And and the fear of what if somebody finds out? What if somebody finds out? What if somebody finds out? And those reactions are really deeply embedded. And so that's why it yeah. comes into wanting to have safe and inclusive housing. 
I think the the important thing is to recognize that we grew up in a very different society. Right. And really thinking that a lot of society doesn't believe that we have the right to be here. Thanks for sharing all that. And I th- and, and you all of this is so insightful and helpful because to your point, you know, folks that are younger might say, well, you know, the marriage thing that's taken care of. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal? But it's not like any of these basic <laughs> milestones are met. And then all of a sudden there's a memory pill in your whole lifetime of, of yeah. hardship is goes away. Right. And that's, that's something people, especially with this context, you know, for my own learning journey, this has been really instructive of, of, um, you know, understanding, um, the, the, the journey that, that, that you've been on as, as an example and representative of a whole lot of stories that in lives. Yeah. Uh, can you maybe speak about sort of the outcomes or the impacts that the journey, the journey you've been describing and, and, and what it has, uh, on, on mm-hmm. the two SLGBTQ plus seniors that you have observed are observing, um, yeah. just in how they go about their, go about their lives. Some of the, some of the things like just going back to employment. So again, if you were outed, you would lose your job because of that. Quite a few people went through really had a career of truly marginal jobs, which means when they come to retirement, they don't have the funds for retirement. Mm -hmm. So that's just uh, one side of it Uh, until I think it was 1974. The American Psychiatric Association, which publishes the DSM Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Diagnosing Mental Illness, in 1974, they finally removed homosexuality from its from the official uh, designation. So the medical profession was not considered friendly mm. to our population. So a lot of people did have really negative experiences with uh, the medical assistant. If they got an STI or something and went for treatment, how did you get it? You know, we need to contact all of these people and the fear of so many different right. things. So one of the things, one of the results out of that is that some seniors have a great fear of the medical community and will resist seeking attention until they have no choice. So you and I might say, hey, this has been nasty cough. It's been going on for a week. Maybe I better go see the doctor. Somebody who has a fear of the medical community might say, I'll wait until I can't breathe. Then I'll go see the doctor. Okay. So Okay. For a, a lot of things, people resist seeking medical attention until they have no choice. The result is that they get, they arrive at a medical facility in much worse shape and take more intensive treatment. The other thing is that if you're afraid of people outing you, you create this shield. And you can only come this, unless I approve of you, you can only right. come this far. You can't, this area is protected area. You don't get in. One of the results of that is if I can never be truly honest with you, how deep and real is our friendship? Right. And so a lot more tendency towards social isolation. And then, of course, you know, self-esteem. Um, again, if you're always told that you're less than or not good enough, that sort of mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. uh, mental health, 
uh, again, right. comes into it. Support networks um, that most seniors have got a, what we would describe as a vertical support structure. So you have the senior, their children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, all of that. A lot of the seniors in my community, it's a horizontal. Okay. So okay. no children, yeah. no grandchildren. A lot of people have been disowned by their family. Even though society has changed, those families have never managed to make reconciliation. The support networks and also the social networks tend to be a lot smaller because of that. Mm. A lot of times, a lot of people who have gone through uh, these experiences may have self-medicated. Okay. Either using alcohol or drugs uh, for a long time. And so that that self-medication, of course, it has its health aspects, but it's also if you're working with an 18-year-old in substance abuse and addiction and trying to, you know, you have a better chance than if you're facing 50 or 60 years of, of addiction habits. Right. To break. Okay. Yeah. So those are those are some of the the outcomes of that type of background, I think. And I, I just mm-hmm want to say also that again i had to challenge those those norms pick a farmer from two hills alberta who has never knowingly met a gay person because i'm sure they have um but they've never had to challenge all of the societal influences and the media reporting they've never had to challenge it so it's it's a question of education Across those various outcomes and impacts, you can see the compounding effect on one another across yeah. so many of those, right? And it's uh, for for myself, uh, your your point about the vertical versus the horizontal that actually hits home pretty pretty squarely with me, and I can understand that I, having three weeks ago just moved my mother into a congregative seniors facility, and how hard that was when there was the vertical structure and just thinking about just call my nephew to build some shelves or what have you, the, those impacts compound each other. And then just sort of the, um, and, and even so, you know, if, so a friend of mine who's 80 just lost his driver's license. We were quite happy about, about that. <laughs> <laughs> people. But I mean, it, it happens, uh, For sure. but I'm 75. How long? So I volunteer to give this fellow a lift anywhere he needs to go, go shopping if we were going to go out for dinner or something like that, just as friends. But how many years until I lose my license? Right. Right. You know, and so that's the problem with the the horizontal structure is that we're all aging at pretty much the same right. pace. And right. uh, being able to call on a, a younger resource, I'm fortunate I, I do have a younger resource mm-hmm. that I can call on, but an awful lot of people don't. Right, you know? right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so with, with all this context in mind, what are some of the impacts and realities of 2S LGBTQ seniors looking for housing? One of the things that really resonated with me, I, I read something that was talking about with with all of the the things you've you've described in mind, the you know a major fear was that there there have been steps in progress in in their lives and their experiences, and this fear of having to go the the quote was back into the closet if they have to go into congregative living because other folks that are in that facility 
like like you said, what the farmer hasn't had, they haven't they they haven't adjusted perhaps because they they might be in 1968 mindset. What what are some of the things that you're seeing in terms of of the realities that folks are are, are fearing and facing? Okay, we're going to talk about bullying later because bullying okay. yeah. transcends everything. But mm-hmm. it, it sort of it comes up in this. A gentleman that I got, he hadn't been a friend, but I. I had been doing some social work, met him through that. And um, he seemed very isolated. So I said, well, you know, if, if our group is going to go out for dinner, I'll come pick you up at your senior's residence and and uh, you can come and join the group for dinner. Mm-hmm. It subsidized seniors housing, which meant that he was low income, like mm-hmm. many people are. And eventually he said, please don't come to the front door of the building anymore. Just, you know, Park a block away. Give me a call. Let me know that you're there. I'll come up and get you. And I said, why? He said, well, because every time you show up, there's Ron's boyfriend is here. Is that you're going out? So I, I was devastated. I don't you know what. What a, you know? I said, will you? The, the thing about you that you learn <laughs> is you can only exercise advocacy if people want you to exercise advocacy. Mm, mm. I had learned that lesson by that time, fortunately. And so I said, what can I do? I knew somebody who was quite powerful in that organization. I was, you know, do you want me to speak with them? This isn't right. And his answer was, what am I going to do? It's subsidized housing. I can't afford to live anywhere else. Uh, if I if I get marked as a troublemaker at this place, my life is going to be even worse. Ugh. So what do I do? So, you know, for four more years till he finally died. That was his home and he didn't feel safe or respected at his home. And he didn't feel that he could talk on a personal level with any of the other residents. That's the outcome. Right. And, you know, fortunately, I managed to, you know, I had a good job and I managed to save money along the way. So I think that if I moved into a situation like like that one, it would be, a, you know, I would be paying a higher rent and my attitude would be, listen, here, I'm a paying customer. I better be treated right or else. Yeah, yeah. But... What if I'm suddenly dependent on somebody to give my medications at the right time or to provide personal care? Mm -hmm. Will my attitude still be the same as that? Or is it much easier just to pretend and put up that shield? Right. And say, you know, you don't get any further than this, which is, in my mind, living an inauthentic life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And the vulnerability that comes with aging at times yeah. that just that yeah. just brings that out, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> as a friend of mine said, you know, you're cruising along, fat, dumb, and happy, and suddenly you're vulnerable. And you know, I've never been, you know, I haven't been vulnerable since I was 14 <laughs> years old. You know, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> but it can happen very quickly. Hmm. Hmm. What are What are some of the things that you know? yourself, Pride Seniors, that you're doing to build that awareness within housing providers 
to ensure that those those places, those homes for people, I think that's a really important thing to keep emphasizing homes for people really reflect that respect, sense of safety and inclusion that that everybody deserves. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, emphasizing this is a home, you know, it's not this coin fits into that slot. So there we go. It's this is where somebody is expected to have an enjoyable retirement to the best of their abilities. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I did, I said I would talk about bullying. Eh, Let's do this right now. (laughs) Because uh, when we went to do one of our presentations at a senior's place, I just asked because I was working on something else. And I just said, what about bullying? And the hands went up. Oh, my God, yes. A couple of things. One is that bullies don't change unless there's an intervention. And so if you have a 75-year-old who is still bullying, you know that they have honed their craft to perfection. Right. So that they can bully without being exposed. And an awful lot of the bullying is, I mean, we think of bullying as shouting and that sort of thing. But one of the really big ones is social exclusion. Right, right. I don't like Mary. So you can't be friends with Mary. Because if you're a friend of her, you can't be a friend of mine. Or don't invite her to come with me or don't, you mm-hmm. know, don't let that guy in. A lot of uh, the bullying, you need to explain first what bullying is. But then I think every building needs to have, every congregate living facility needs to have an active anti-bullying campaign. Uh, going on. I think that is the first thing about safety. So then moving away from that, just explaining, as I've explained to you, some of the lifetime events. So, so to say, we didn't grow up the same way as you did. Yeah. Um, that we've had different life experiences, which make us more nervous about certain things or a little, a little bit more fearful about disclosing who we are, that sort of thing. And a little bit more um, reactionary to things that we hear. So I use the word queer because I'm a gay man and that's a reclaimed license. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you talk with young folks in the community, queer is used all the time. For an awful lot of people my age, it is a highly offensive term. Mm. Highly offensive because it was usually followed by a fist. And so, you know, using that use of language, I think, is is really important. Talking to people that these are different different experiences. Here are some things that might trigger a bad memory, might indicate to that person that you don't respect them. Right. Creating a sense of community. This is really good when I was talking to some students a couple of years ago. Who have GSAs. GSAs, or Gay Straight Alliances, are school-based peer support networks that are student-run with teacher support. These groups work to create safe, caring, supportive, and inclusive spaces for 2S LGBTQ plus students, staff, and their allies. Students meet, socialize, and support one another as they discuss their feelings and experiences related to sexual orientation and gender identity. One of the kids said, well, we got a GSA at my school. Why doesn't a senior's home have a GSA? Mm-hmm. That's good. Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I think training is is really important. Uh, training on the use of language because we scan for safety. If I walk into uh, a, you know just I'm looking for a senior's home, and I walk in and make an appointment and say I'd like to come and see what the facilities are like, and I sit down, and somebody says, um, "Did you bring your wife, or is she dead?" Yeah, I got a pretty good idea right there. So one of the about language, instead of asking, are you married or where's your wife or the kids, just start with, tell me who is important in your life. Let's have a conversation. Because you're not selling a toaster oven at Best Buy. You are explaining to someone about what they can expect if they come to live in this building. Yeah. And so taking a little bit more time, being a little bit more respectful, letting people know. Also, you know, signifying uh, when I said we need to talk about the owners or senior administration, the day-to-day administration, you know, the operational staff, the service delivery staff and other other folks. Because a lot of places just slap a a rainbow triangle on the front door and say, boom, this is it. We're a safe space. Right. That creates, it, that's almost worse <laughs> because mm. If mm. I'm expecting it to be a safe space and suddenly, whoa, yeah. then it, it's more of a negative reaction. So okay. I think talking to, talking to everybody, getting on board, one facility said, well, yeah, this guy, yeah, he doesn't like anybody and he calls everybody names and, and that's it. And I had to ask, is is there a dementia component to his actions? Mm. And they said, as far as we know. So that's that's an important one because yeah. getting dementia into the mix makes it a little bit more difficult. But I said, you know, I know you've got a no smoking policy in all of your suites. It's a three-stage process. And if you catch somebody smoking in your suite, in their suite after three, you tell them that they need to find another place. So, you know, uh, maybe you should be looking at some progressive discipline, not only for residents, but also for staff, you know, and, and the interview process, starting with, we are trying to create a respectful community. So we want to make sure that uh, people of different religions, people of different colors, people of different orientation or gender identification. Mm-hmm. We want everybody to feel this is their home. This is a safe place. If you're not comfortable doing this, this is not going to be a great place for you to live. Yeah. So up to you. You know what we're expecting from you. And you will either, you know, you meet those expectations. We'll do some coaching along the way and certainly like I explained, that farmer from Two Hills might need mm-hmm. a little bit more coaching than somebody who's grown up, you know, in the heart of the big city sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Experiences. yeah. So those are, I think those are the really the way is, is to stress from the top down and from the bottom up, there has to mm-hmm. be an attitude. We want this to be respectful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's it, that that makes a lot of sense, and it make and in terms of it really is a cultural within a, within that institution, organization, or whatever building, whatever you want to call it. That it really has to be a true 
cultural commitment because mm-hmm. if it's if it's in a, a mission statement on the strategic plan every year it doesn't matter if it's just from one staffer that really has a lot of empathy that matters less it's it really has to to cross it all and and I think your point of of um clear declaration backed up mm-hmm. backed up by by action and true commitment to to your point of the the progressive you know uh, discipline uh, I think is a really is a really good one and I think the tone of conversation also, yeah. you know, I, I used to be a radical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs> um, but calling out versus calling in. And that's yeah. part of the education process. So yeah. if I hear you, well, first of all, if I hear a casual comment, I really need to speak up. But the way I speak up is... If I just call you out and say you're a racist bigot, I have no value for you. Okay, mm-hmm. I got the point across, but that has not encouraged conversation. Yep. So that's calling out. Calling in is a way to say, look, that's, I perceive that remark to be hurtful. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about what's behind it? And let's see if we can move to a different place. That I think is a much, better conversation and i that's one of the things that i've incorporated into the presentations that i've done at seniors residence because you don't want to be turning people off you really want to if somebody is slightly off side you want to sort of bring them back into the center again just to add attitude throughout the organization Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i guess before we wrap up uh, are there any other thoughts or messages that you'd like to share with the city builders of the world uh, when thinking about 2S LGBTQ plus seniors housing? Well, one of the big concerns that I have is social isolation. For the straight community, the attitude is, okay, you go through high school, you go to university, you get a job. And in all that time, you're forming new friendships all the time. But once you've got a job and you're married, you're Outlook, you know, you tend to look inward. 50 years later, when you're retired and your spouse has died and you haven't actually consciously made a friend for 40 or 50 years, you know, making and maintaining friendships is a learned skill that disappears. So the whole idea of creating a community to make sure that what is being done in that building is creating community as opposed to just people living independent lives. And I, I think I see that, you know, the the sad truth of age is the number of my friends who, who were very close friends who have died over the last 10 or 15 years is absolutely astounding. Yeah. So if you're not continuously building social capital, you wake up one day and say, I have nothing. So that's why the social component of any building for seniors is more important than I think some people look at it. Well, yeah, we're, we're putting up a, an apartment building for young singles or for middle-aged families. Or, and it's just, yeah, they're, they're going to do their own stuff. And, you know, as long as their rent is paid on time, <laughs> no other interactions. For seniors in general, not only 2SLGBTQ seniors, 
for seniors in general, the sense of community has to be very important. So a place where you can accidentally bump into somebody, you know, like a coffee room where the coffee mm-hmm. pot is always on. Um, those types of things and activities to allow people to get to know each other. Things like potlucks for most seniors. Having a meal together is yeah. really something that's really breaks down barriers, really brings people together. Those types of activities, mm-hmm. what we want to see is a respectful conversations, but people feeling that they are part of a society, you know, a small microcosm of a society within a building and that they're responsible for encouraging that microcosm to live and flourish and, and everybody to feel good there. So one of the things we like to ask everybody on the podcast is, can you tell me a city that you love and why you love it? Uh, my favorite city, I would have to say, is Bangkok. It's the first, it's a long story, but basically I was going to visit somebody in Australia and they said, just arrange to stop in Thailand for two weeks on your way home and I'll make all the arrangements. And I had heard so much about Bangkok of pollution and congestion mm. and crime and, and all the rest of it. And I said, well, can we arrange that I just arrive on the international flight at the uh, Boom airport and then uh, transfer to the other flight to the island? And <laughs> no, <laughs> you have to spend it. I was astounded the, uh, well, ever, you know, street food anywhere in Thailand, but the absolute beauty of mm. uh, the temples and the people. Just the attitude walking down the street compared to New York or Chicago. Completely different. So, yeah, it's it's a, a fascinating city. It's got so many wonderful things in it. And so anytime I go to Thailand, I usually spend only three or four days in Bangkok and then off to yeah. the mountains or the beach or wherever. But uh, mm-hmm. two or three days in, in Bangkok are always really, really precious for me. Throughout the lab process, we're working to build knowledge, relationships, and empathy amongst community members to expand the understanding of the lived experience of 2S LGBTQ plus seniors. I particularly want to thank Eric for his willingness to share his experiences with us today, uh, and I'm so appreciative of the work he's doing. If you're interested in sharing your thoughts about housing for 2S LGBTQ plus seniors, there are some opportunities coming up. Over the fall, we're conducting interviews with folks with lived experience and holding some community engagement sessions to understand the community's perspective on potential solutions. If you're interested in participating or learning more, please reach out to my teammate, Helen, by email at helen, that's H-E-L-E-N, at intelligentfutures.ca. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.